Let's go ahead this morning and turn in our Bibles to the book of Second Chronicles. Second <clears throat> Chronicles. Second <clears throat> Chronicles chapter 20. <clears throat> so if you go to the first part of the, the Bible, you find over there, obviously, First and Second Kings, and then we have the parallel books of First and Second Chronicles. Uh, that also includes uh, some of the things that took place in First and Second Samuel, but we've got some things here uh, that we're going to look at about a king, Jehoshaphat, and some of his actions and some of his behaviors. Now, I preached a message on this a while ago, but there's some things that I want us to look at a little bit differently with this, uh, uh, to take a look at it this morning. Uh, simply put, you know, the title of the message, if I had to give one, would be... Um, uh, when we cry unto the Lord, when we cry unto the Lord. And, you know, in this life, uh, if you've been a Christian for for a little bit, you realize that crying unto God uh, is one of the most important things that you can do. I mean, you cried unto the Lord for salvation. You called upon his name. You were trusting him and believing him. So very clearly we see that there's a cry unto the Lord. Uh, Peter, he was crying unto the Lord as he was sinking into the, to the sea, uh, when he had a, a, an issue of struggling with faith. Uh, we see multiple people and multiple nations crying unto the Lord. And this part is no different. But I want us to see some things in this, uh, this passage in, in chapter 20 that really strike true for believers today. They really strike true for believers today. In, in, in the first part here in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20 in verse 1, it says, It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other beside the Amorites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in uh, Hazazon Temar, which is Egedi. So here we've got these individuals massed against this kingdom of Judah. Now remember, this is the, this is the smaller group. This is comprising of, of the, the tribes of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. The other ten tribes have been dealing with their own issues, uh, with, with others that were invading. But here we've got the, the, the kingdom of Judah is going to be invaded. And they're invaded by, are going to be invaded by a very massive force. The odds are very much set against them. And this is obviously going to be troubling news that comes upon Jehoshaphat. It would be troubling news if all of a sudden we woke up one morning and there was everything all over the radio and text alerts and everything that we got that saw that there was a massive army that was mounting against us coming from Canada. You know, the Canadian army decided one day they were going to invade the United States. That's highly unlikely they would ever do that. But... You understand what I'm saying? And not only did they decide to bring the Canadians with them, but they also decided to bring, uh, uh, the, you know, the, the armies of Mexico, which may not be enough, but then they also decided to bring others engaged in China and Russia, and they all decided, hey, we're gonna try to, 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 to come and conquer the United States of America. That would be some troubling news. To be invaded by a, a, a force that way. But what we begin to look at here is we begin to look at what Jehoshaphat does. 
Now look, this morning I read that we are certain to know trials, tribulations are going to come. We will have trouble in this life. How you face it and what you do is the most important thing that you can focus on. You can't do away with it. You can't, you can't, uh, if you will, just kind of uh, positively, hopefully, excuse me, <clears throat> wish it away. <clears throat> Man, I love allergy season. Uh, you can't wish it away. But one thing that, that we can do is put our faith, our trust, and our confidence in our God. And this is what we're going to see. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll get into earnest here. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful again that you've given us this time and this opportunity to just meet, to come, to hear from your word, to receive instruction from you. I pray, Lord, as we look at the exposition of this passage, that, Lord, it would be very clear what we are supposed to do, that we would learn from it. We would learn from the type. We would learn from the lesson that we would learn from their actions, their deeds, their words, their thoughts, their hearts. The Lord, as you reveal it unto us, that we would realize this is what pleases you. I pray, Lord, that we would just have that desire this morning, that as we've come together to worship, that, Lord, you'd meet here among us, work in our hearts, have free reign to just convict where necessary of sin, to encourage where necessary when we're discouraged, to edify when we're down, to lift us up, Lord, that we can trust you, we can glorify you, and we can praise you. I pray, Lord, that we would do all of those things this morning according to your will, and this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So what we find here in this passage of Scripture is we find that they're they're surrounded. They've got this massive force that's coming around them. And, and the very first thing that we see here in verse 3 of chapter 20, it says, And Jehoshaphat feared. Jehoshaphat feared. Now, I, you know, again, we go back to the things of fear, and we think about fear very clearly. It says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and a love of and a sound mind. But there are things that happen in this life that fear exists. Fear comes upon us. You, you you just can't help that because fear is an emotion, but again, it's transient in its nature, meaning it comes and it goes. It comes and it goes. But what we do with fear and whether we allow it to control us or we allow it to rule in our life is, is going to determine what happens next. And what we see here with this fear is Jehoshaphat controlled it the right way. He, he, he gets this news and that's distressing news. He didn't just casually and nonchalantly go, oh, who cares? He didn't do that. He was like, oh, that's bad. <laughs> that's really bad. Because he, he doesn't have an army to come up against them. They're small in number and these guys are mighty in, in number coming against him. How is he going to win a battle? How is he going to win odds that are not in his favor? How is he going to do this? The very first thing that we see is even though that that fear existed, what does he do? He says, and Jehoshaphat feared in verse 3 and set himself to seek the Lord. The very first thing that he does is is he, he himself as a leader sets himself to seek 
God. He's seeking God's will. He's seeking God's direction. He's seeking God's providence. He is seeking God's, if you will, the trust that he can have in him. He is just at this point in time, when fear overwhelms him, when fear comes, the first thing he does is he gets closer to God. Now, I will say this, and I keep saying this about every emotion. Every emotion that we have is a light, if you will, it is an indicator that we need to get closer to God. When you are sorrowful, you need to get closer to God. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. So if you're sorrowing about something that's happened in your life, maybe it's sin, maybe it's something you need to address, you know, getting closer to God is what's going to resolve the issue. Then that transient, uh, if you will, sorrow, that sadness will dissipate. Many times people wrestle with things of depression, but again, they wrestle with depression because they're not getting closer to the Lord. That's part of the problem. They realize you get closer to the Lord, you realize how much of a help the Lord is to those that are, are, are if you will, feeble, that are weak, that need that encouragement. So the very first thing Jehoshaphat does is he says here, when fear comes, what's he do? He gets He, he, he immediately sets himself to seek out God. He's going to find God. He's going to find out exactly what he... Now, look, it's not that Jehoshaphat misplaced him. It's not that he didn't have a relationship with him. Jehoshaphat was, you know, with even his struggles, he was trying to do that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, not himself. But what we find is in this desire, in what he wants and what he's looking for here, is he's looking for an answer from God. He's looking for the help of God. You know, that's one of the big things that a lot of people don't do. Troubles arrive and they knock on the door. Guess what happens? They'll go to everywhere else before they come and they seek God's help. They'll look for help in, in, in the world. They'll look for help in friends. They'll look help in, 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 uh, um, in, in counseling that is not scriptural. They'll look for help wherever they can try to find it except for God. Now, why in the world would somebody do that if we know exactly who God is? And Jehoshaphat did. Jehoshaphat did. So the very first thing that we see here is he fears God, or he fears and he seeks out God. They fasted in this passage. He says very clearly, they proclaimed to fast through all Judah. And what happens in verse four? And gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord, even of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So they all come out and they're all congregating together and they're doing what? They're praying. They're praying. And with some of these uh, Supreme Court things, people are saying, well, you know, prayer should only be private. These guys were praying publicly. Again, context, all right? But what we find here is we find that very clearly, this is what they began to do. They began to pray. They began to seek God. They began to want to know exactly what was going to happen. I mean, and here they are, as if you go down here a little bit further in verse 5, it says, And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the uh, of the heathen? And in thy hand there is not power and might, so that none is able to, to, to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gave us to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? 
Here he is, and you know what the first thing he begins to realize? And these are rhetorical questions. He's not asking God to prove himself. That's not the case. He's, if you will, he's kind of asking these questions to himself. He's asking these questions to the nation of Israel. Like, do we believe this? Do we really believe that God can help in this situation? Look at who he is. Look at what he's done in our past. Look at all of this. And we begin to see the mighty hand of God and his works. We need God for help. We need God for help. And this is exactly what they did. They knew God. They knew his works. And that's where the confidence was found. That's where the confidence was found. Take a look here. As we go through this passage, uh, jump down to verse 9 here. He says, If when evil cometh upon us as a sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then wilt thou, wilt thou wilt hear and help. This was a promise. This is what he was told of them. This is what was given to them. And he knew exactly what they had to do. The very first thing they do is they all come together. They all assemble together as a, as a congregation, as a group, as a body. And they say, we need God's help in this. And we know that if we cry unto the Lord and we seek Him, we do it with the right heart. We do it in such a way that we come to Him in prayer. God will hear us and God will help us. I'll tell you this. A lot of times people are not willing to pray that. Why? Because they don't think God can help them. They really don't. One of the greatest struggles in this Christian life is, as I was talking about this morning about Christian warfare, and one of the tools of Satan is doubt. It's doubt. The devil wants you to doubt God's providence. And look, we doubted ourselves. We don't even need the temptation of the devil on that. We doubted ourselves. And some people will say, well, I've never really truly seen the hand of God working in my life. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you have, then you know that he has helped you. Why? Because you have forgiveness of sins. Mankind can't even do that. There is no name under heaven by which we must be saved, the Bible says, except Jesus Christ. Our Lord, our Savior, who He is, and by no means should we seek help anywhere else. But yet, many Christians, when when conflict comes, when, when when the battle is set already, they start seeking help from somewhere else. You realize that throughout throughout the First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, that was some of the problems. That when problems came, they began to seek help with other nations. They began to seek help elsewhere that was not God. And what does God say? You ought not do that. The first stop that we should have is exactly where Jehoshaphat went. God. They knew that that's where their confidence could be. They knew they couldn't do it on their own power. Take a look at verse 12 here. And what does he say? He says, our God, will thou not judge them? 
For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. You know, the very first thing that they admitted, we, we can't do this. We can't do this. How many fail has ever been made by saying, hey, watch me, I can do this. And it ends horribly. It ends horribly. But here we are as Christians, we should not say, I can do this on my own. You know, if God, if God can help us and God can save us and give us a home in heaven, which we couldn't do on our own, and he makes that very clear, guess what? He can help us with our small problems too. Now look, sin and dealing with sin is a big problem. It's a huge problem. It's the biggest problem you'll ever face. What to do with your sin? What to do with your sin? You know what has to happen with your sin? If you want a home in heaven, that sin has to be washed away. That sin has to be forgiven. That sin has to be uh, removed, blotted out, as he says in Scripture. And that can only be done by the power of Jesus Christ. So here they are, and they come and they say, "We, we, we can't do it. We can't do it. I dare say the first time that a trial or trouble comes to you this week, the very first words out of your mouth are, I can't do it. You're like, well, that's not a positive thought. Not yet. I can't do it, but God can. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He's my confidence. He's my hope. He is my all in all. I'm going to go to him for everything. Even if it's a small problem that you think you can handle yourself, absolutely. Absolutely. You know how much it really truly is a blessing when that happens and occurs? When regardless of the size of the problem, we turn it over and we let the Lord handle it the way the Lord's going to do it. And we do exactly what we need to do in it, in this situation. God does what God does best in his works. And we get to sit back and praise him and bless his name through our praise and, and, and lifting up his name as glorious and as, 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 as the best name that has ever been had. Like even over a small problem, even over a small problem, even over a small problem. I was I was made a mention to Abby. Uh, she she got all excited about one of her finals that uh, she did well on, and um, uh, it was uh, she was she was very thankful for that. And uh, I made a comment on the phone when she called me. I said, uh, "If there ever was a time where prayer was lifted up." At a Christian college, it's during finals week. <laughs> I guarantee you there was a lot of Peter prayers. There was a lot of long drawn out prayers. There was a bunch of prayers of Lord save me. I didn't study, you know, things like that. Okay. Look, you got to study. You're not going to just, God's not just going to automatically download it to you. All right. He'll help you remember it though. But I tell you this, whenever you go and you do anything, whether you're taking a test, 
or whether you're sitting, you know, you walk in and you sit down and wor- at work, you sit down at your, your desk, you know what you're going to be faced with when you sit down at your desk? Problems. How many of you, when you went in to work on Monday last week, you ran into a problem? Anybody run into a problem or was it just me? Josh, you have any problems this week? And we, <laughs> he walks into work and he's just like, really? <laughs> Some days that happens. You walk into problems. You walk into trouble. You know what the very first thing you should do when you sit down at work? Lord, guide and direct my thoughts. Lord, give me the answers that I need to please you and to honor you and do the right thing. Lord, may I make the choices that will glorify you in your name before you open your email. (laughs) Now, if you've got one of those older ones and it takes five minutes to do it, then maybe you click it and then you let it load. But, you know, just a simple thing like that. Because you're going to run into troubles. Start off with a prepared heart. They prepared by, by fasting. They prepared and they came and they prayed. They knew exactly where to get the help from. They said, we can't do it on our own. You know, the very first thing they have to do is, or that they did here with, when dealing with this issue is they, they confessed. We can't do it. But God, you can. But God, you can. And I want you to notice there at the end of verse 12, what did they do? They said, our eyes are upon thee. The very first thing that they go through this process of seeking God, fasting, praying, recognizing who God is, recognizing the works he's already done, they realize they can't do it. They turn their eyes to God. My favorite hymns, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim. You know, that that's how we go about, if you will, drowning out the noise of the world. Keeping our eyes focused on him. This is exactly what they were doing here. They said, we're not going to fret ourselves. We're not going to worry ourselves. You know what we're going to do? We're just going to look to you, Lord. A lot of Christians won't do that. A lot of Christians won't pick up the Bible and look to the Lord and say, where is the help? They won't look to the Lord for Christian fellowship and Christian counsel and say, and go to another brother or sister in Christ and say, well, will, you, will you come? Will you pray with me? Will you fast with me? Will, will, will you engage in this behavior so that we can have an answer so that, so that I can get some help? Can we look to the Lord together? And this becomes one of the desires that they have here is that they realize that they knew that they had to look to the Lord. Another passage of scripture, one of the great passages in, in, in scripture, uh, the one that, 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 that smote, uh, the, the great preacher, uh, Charles Spurgeon to the heart was look and live. Look to the Lamb of God and live. And there he was in that church service that one day and, and as that, that fill in deacon pastor that just butchered the whole message the whole way through, as he says, stuttered and stammered through the whole thing, 
He sees Spurgeon as a visitor sitting in the back and he points out to him and he says, you, sir, look, young man, look to be most miserable. He said, look to Jesus and live. And that day, you know, Charles Spurgeon trusted Christ as his savior. And he grew up in a supposed Christian home. And here we are looking at this, and this is their whole concept. We need to look to God. He's got the answer. Where else are you going to look? Where else are you going to look? And I love this. I love this part as this all happens and goes through, and they they go through this process of where where, where they're receiving the, the answer that comes to them, and we see these individuals coming in and and, and giving these uh, um, these these proclamations about what they're supposed to be doing. And we find here this is this is in verse fourteen. This individual by the night uh, was uh, uh, that, that comes. And he, he begins to declare what the Lord told him to tell Jehoshaphat. Verse 15, he says, Hearken ye, old Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed, by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. This wasn't their battle to fight. I, did you ever notice that? Did you ever go through and read that and, and then realize, huh? So why were they afraid? They were afraid of a fight that they weren't even going to be involved in. God destroyed them without them having to do anything. All they had to do was stand still. It wasn't their fight. It was God's. You know, we fret more about things that are, are, are God's to take care of and he will take care of. I mean, we, we, we sit there and we just, I mean, we, we worry ourselves over things that, that, that God's going to handle. Why would we do that? We don't need to worry for God. And trust me. God's not worried. <laughs> He's not worried. Here's God's answer. He, he, he very clearly tells them, this is, this is, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to go. This is, this is, this is the end result. You don't have anything to be worried about. You don't have anything to be worried about. In verse 17, he says, uh, ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Why were they afraid then? See, when you set your heart to, you know, upon the things of the Lord, God will tell you exactly who's going to fight that fight. We get so concerned about us fighting it, and you know what? It may not be us that fights it. It just might be God doing it for his glory. You just get to be the casual observer and reap untold blessings by just standing and watching. You know, Josiah didn't do that, and he died in battle when he picked the fight with the wrong king. 
that was sent on a mission by God. And the end result was is he, he his reign got cut short. Joseph out here, he's got he's got enough sense that he just stands back and he's like, oh, I'm going to let God handle it. I'm going to let God do it. Verse 17, he says, Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord uh, with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. All they had to do was stand still. Don't panic. Don't freak out. Don't have a nervous breakdown. Let God handle it. Let God fight your battles. You know, there there are certain fights that we should not be engaged in. Why in the world would we be worried about going into those those fights and those engagements? Why would we want to be why would we even want to be involved in a fight that the Lord's going to handle? Very clearly, this is exactly what they, they began to, to see the Lord was doing to, for them. I mean, he gave them specific direction. Even look at verse 16. He says, tomorrow, go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeru. Yeah, He tells them exactly where they're hiding. He says, I want you to go over here. I want you to go. You're going to find them. You're going to right there. But I want you, you're not going to fight in this fight. I want you to just go up against them and stand there. Christian, I want you to stand your ground. Christian, I want you to see how the Lord's going to fight for you. Christian, I'm going to want you to see what happens when you trust God. This is exactly what we see here. He tells them, no fear. He says, be not dismayed. You know, when a person's dismayed, they're in that state of not only panic, fear, and if you will, intense anxiety and worry, but they're also, it is mixed up with this glue called hopelessness. That's what being dismayed is. You ever had that happen? Dismayed where you're just walking, you know, you're doing something and then something happens and you're just like, you just feel like the air has been let out of you. You're just like, oh, really? And he says, don't be dismayed. Don't, don't worry about what's going to happen. Don't worry about any of these things. Don't get yourself all worked up. Don't have this thought of hopelessness and fear overwhelm you and control you and push you into fighting something you shouldn't be fighting. Pick the right fight. But there, what does he say uh, uh, very clearly? In that last part of verse 17, for the Lord will be with you. Therein lies one of the greatest, if you will, promises that they were experiencing at that point in time that we ourselves know that matches up with Psalm 23 as well as Romans chapter 8 and a whole slew of other passages. That he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
We're in Christ and he's in us. That can never be undone. Why would we be worried? Why would we be dismayed? Why would we have fear and hopelessness just overwhelm us when we know that God is with us? You know what such a great comfort it is? Here, here's this guy that comes, his name I have a hard time pronouncing, and he comes in and he just says, hey, don't worry about this fight. God's got it. You're, it's not your fight anyways. You guys just go up there, stand, watch. God's going to be with you. You know, sometimes that's just about the only message we need to hear. Having the confidence that God's with us. You know why we don't have that confidence that God's with us? Because somewhere along the way, we stop trusting Him. Somewhere along the way, we never prepared our heart. We stopped praying. We never set ourselves to seek the Lord. We we didn't realize exactly how weak we really are and how much help we need from God. He says, God's with you. The Lord will be with you. And and I want you to understand the, the, the reaction that these individuals had when that happened. Take a look at verse 18 here. And it says, And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. The battle wasn't won yet. The fight hadn't even started. They had just received a great amount of comfort, and the very first thing that they do is they begin worshiping God. Why? Because they knew their prayers were going to be answered. They had confidence in God. The man of God came and told them this is exactly what was going to happen. They knew that this was going to be the end result. And what did they do? In verse 19, and the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. Here they are the day before the battle. They received this glorious message. And they're excited about it. They realize that God's going to handle it. You know, here's what happens. Look, let's just be honest with our praise. We praise God after we've received the blessing. Not before. We know that there's the promise... But we want to see the fruition of it. Somehow, some way, we've became, you know, along this, this line, we've become little lawyers. We're like, I want to see it in writing. I want to see it signed. I want to see the deal done before I do anything. Joseph, I didn't even wait for that. And, and, and I'll tell you this. You can learn a lot from Jehoshaphat if you want to know what it really means to be a leader. First thing he does, he's on the ground and he's giving God glory, honor, and praise. What happens? The rest of the nation, boom, down on the ground. And what does that inspire? That inspires the Levites. Just, all of a sudden, they start bursting out in songs and singing praises to God. 
You know, I don't think they went to bed that night sitting there going like this, oh, am I going to die tomorrow? I know, I think they did. I think they went to bed with peace. They went to bed knowing God's got it. They praise God first, before the battle. And they also praise God after the battle, too. And I want you to see this of what happens here. You know, obviously, they've been encouraged at this point in time. And they go and they they see this amazing thing. And and I love this. In verse 20, it says, And they rose up early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. So shall ye be established. Believe his prophets. So shall ye prosper. You know what he's saying? Believe God in his word, folks. Let's go. Believe what the word said, and let's do this. You know what? Our faith should inspire us to action. It did with Abraham. He believed God and his word, and he went and he faithfully served to the point of where he was called the friend of God with a capital F. That is how much, you know, if you will, he believed God and it moved him to do these things in obedience just like it's doing here. And he just says, believe God. You know, here they are, they're heading out and they're, they're, they're heading along the way. And he stands in front of the people and he says, believe God. We need to believe God. We need to believe his words of his pro- the prophets that he sent to us. We need to believe. We do this. We're going to have a sure footing. We do this. We're going to prosper. Now again, he's not looking for glory, honor, and riches. He's just looking about prospering as in not dying that day. You know, every day you don't die is a good day. You're like, well, I don't know. Look, I understand there is a desire like Paul did. And he said his desire was to be with his Savior. But what did he say? He said it was more needful for him to be here on earth for others. He set aside his desire to be in heaven and be with Jesus Christ to, 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 to go to a bunch of belly aching Christians repeatedly and try to get them to grow. <laughs> and he said, that's the better thing. I'm going to choose what God wants me to do. And here he makes it very clear, you're going to prosper. And, and, and as they go, and, and I, want to, I want you to know, it's not only are they going to praise God before, and I, we're going to see that they, obviously they praise God after. Look at what happens in verse 21. And when they had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army, and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. <laughs> They're singing. And they're not singing that they're going to crush their enemies. They're praising God. Praise ye the Lord. His mercy endureth forever. And here they are. They're just marching along the way. And they're not, it's not a battle cry. It's a cry of praise. They praise before, they praise during, 
and they praised after. You know what that means? Your life should consist of praise. Praise. Praise, by the way, doesn't come if prayer, preparation are not part of it. If we don't set ourselves to seek the Lord, that praise will be absent. That praise will be absent. And here they are, they get to see one of the amazing things. And as they go along, they're heading to the place, going along the exact direction that God told them to go. In verse 22, I love this part. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab in Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir and utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. They killed themselves. The three of them couldn't get along and they fought. And here's the nation of Israel, you know, singing along the way. And they're over there like, you know, sticking each other to death. And it's, it, 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 this is what happens, verse 23. For when, uh, or excuse me, when verse 24, it says, and when the, uh, when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked uh, unto the multitude, and behold, there were dead bodies fallen in the earth, and none escaped. Could you imagine, here you are, you're coming to, I mean, you're coming, you're getting ready to see the battle. They never even saw the battle. They saw the aftermath. You know, sometimes, I will tell you this, when you are are letting God handle it, you're going to only see the aftermath. You don't get to see the gory bits. And look, you know, combat's not, combat's not good. Ancient biblical combat, that's some rough stuff. That's rough stuff. They didn't get to see it. You know what they they saw? They saw the work, the if you will, the end of the work of God. Right there before them. That mighty army that came. And how did God do it? He ambushed them. I mean, that's what it says. It says right there in verse 22, Lord sent ambushments against the children of Amnon, Moab, and the Mount Seir. You know where that ambush was? In their mind. Started quarreling. Started fighting. Somebody pulls out a sore and say, yeah, 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 you want a piece of me? <laughs> And the guy goes, yeah, I want. And then, you know, next thing you know is chaos. Moab and Amnon take care of these guys from Seir. And then they start looking at each other. Like, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? And then they go out at each other. I just, I just, I'm sorry. This is the way I envision it. All right. <laughs> you can envision it however you want to. I just look at this and I can, and then I see them. They're singing. Here comes Judah and they come across the, across the crest. They're getting more and more excited and they look down and they're just like, Carnage. They saw God's work. And you know what else they saw? They saw God's provision. 
Verse 25, and when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with dead uh, bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. First and foremost, why are you bringing jewelry to a fight? <laughs> but whatever, you know, here they are. I mean, look, you know, you're not going to bring your favorite stuff when you go to fight. I mean, I understand, you know, sometimes soldiers will bring little mementos from home, but they're not going over there and they're not, you know, cashing out their 401k and putting it in their backpack. They're more concerned about how much ammo they can carry. They don't want to carry that around. You know what? They're sitting there looking at this and they're going, what? Three days. Three days. And it's amazing to see that here it comes. They realize they're going to get, that there's an army against them. They pray to God. God answers. They trust him in resting in him. And the next thing you know is as God is doing his work, he's actually providing for them and continuing to give them. Three days gathering those things. Three days. I mean, that that's a lot to gather. That's a lot to gather. And I'm sure Jehoshaphat didn't bring like, you know, oh, it was like only one or two guys. No, I'm sure that they had enough people. They start going over there. They start checking around to make sure that everyone's dead. And, 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 and they're like, Hey, look at what this guy brought. Hey, look at what this guy brought. Hey, look at this guy's bag. Looks like he brought everything. And you know what? And God just provided for him. They were trusting in God. God did the battle. He won the war for them, won the fight. And then, on top of it, he gave them blessings that they didn't even ask for. Isn't that, the, isn't that just so great when we can realize, when we cry unto the Lord in such a way as he said, this is what you told us to do, we're crying unto you, we fasted, we're praying, we're set ourselves to seek you, Lord, just do a mighty work, we're looking to you to do it. And God says, okay. And he does it and he says, oh, by the way, here's a little bit more. If you ever go to Seaside, there's a, there's an ice cream shop and a candy shop that's over there. Of course, I would know where it is. Um, <laughs> and if you go there, and if you get ice cream from them, I, I don't know if you've ever been there and you've ever been to this specific one. You go over there, and it's in the big blue building, and, and, and you get your ice cream. I usually get it in a cup. I'm not a fan of cones. You get it in a cone, cup, whatever it is. They'll put that scoop of ice cream on there, and then they'll go back in, and they'll say, just a little bit more because you're special. That's what they say. And then they hand it to you. And they have a little bit of fun with it and stuff, and and it just makes you laugh. First time we had it, it was it was kind of funny to see that. And it's just, I mean, again, you know, that's a great business ploy. It really, truly is. Why? Well, they just told you you're special. We all want to be special. 
And we are special in our own ways. <laughs> but but you know, here here's that affirmation, and they give it to you, and and and, and you you get to eat it, and you just you walk away with a smile. You can't help but smile with that. Come on, you're getting ice cream, and you're just told you were special. I don't care if you're paying ten bucks for it. That's I mean, come on, that's worth it. You're paying for the compliment, right? <laughs> but you, I mean, you, you know, you just get that little bit extra, and you're just like, "Oh, okay, cool." You know, here's God, and it wasn't just like it was like here's here's your, here's your ice cream cone, and here's the rest of the bucket. <laughs> you're like, and that's the way I, God blesses. They got to see the provision of God with all of this. And I want you to see down here in verse 26 what happens. It says that on the fourth day they assembled themselves in the valley of Berechah, for they, for there they blessed the Lord. You know how you bless God? You praise Him. You praise Him. Therefore the name of the place, uh, was called, uh, the Valley of Berechah unto this day. And they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat in the uh, forefront of them to go again to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets unto the house of the Lord. You know how they bless God? They let the Holy Spirit work in them and they had joy. They realized the provision of God, the work of God, the, the answer of prayer from God, and here they are, and they just can't help. And what are they doing? They're praising God all the way to the door, all the way to that house of the Lord, to the temple. And I want us to see something great. Here they are, not only are they praising before, but they're praising during, and they're praising after. But I want you to see what happens when that occurs. Look at this. The, he, he, here's the great part in verse 29. And the fear of God was on all the kingdom of those countries when they heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. Talk about a witness. Talk about a glory. And in verse 30, so the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet. And God gave him rest roundabout. Nobody wanted to mess with Jehoshaphat. Why? Because they just spoiled an army and they didn't have to lift one spear, shoot one arrow, or stab one guy. Why? It wasn't their fight. It wasn't their fight. And you know what they had? Look. Here's what happens when you let God handle the situation. Quiet and rest. How many of you wish you had a little more quiet in your life? A little more rest? Some peace? Cry unto God. We fret ourselves over innumerable things when we shouldn't. 
When's the last time you cried unto God? When's the last time you just prayed with fasting and a seeking, a true, true seeking of God working in your life? And then you let God actually handle it. Now that's worthy of praise. The, the, the end result, greater than the riches that they walked away with, quiet rest. So much more valuable than any jewel that they hauled off that battlefield. The amount of gold they hauled off. They rested knowing that God was exactly who he said he was. And that's an amazing thing for us to think about. In a moment, we're going to close with a word of prayer, but I want us to think on this. You know, here the chapter started out, they were in trouble. There was a bunch of fear that was involved. And then as we get towards the end of this chapter and the end of what was happening here, they walked away with joy, praise, and rest. Where are you in that today? Where are you in that today? Maybe you got some issues of fear. Maybe you don't know what happens after this life. Well, the Bible says that we can know that we have eternal life. And that is by trusting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. For the forgiveness of sins, a home in heaven with Him, and help along the way. Are you trusting Him this morning as your Savior? If you are, make sure you're praising God. Make sure you're praying to Him. Make sure you're crying unto Him to handle all your troubles. If you're here today and you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, in a minute we're going to sing a couple of hymns. Just come up and ask me. What does that mean to trust Christ as your Savior? I'll, I'll have somebody show you from the Word of God. Don't worry what anyone else in here thinks. You're worried that somebody's going to judge you or, or, or think ill of you as you come forward. I guarantee you, nobody's going to be thinking that. You know what they're going to be thinking? Praise God. Praise God. If you're here today and you haven't trusted Him, today's the day to do that. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the time. Thank you again for all that you've given to us. I thank you for this account of your work and your provision that you've done for Israel. And Lord, the truth that we can take away from it. The encouragement that we have. Lord, the truths that we see. And Lord, may we seek that in you. Pray, Lord, that if there's somebody here that is not trusting you as their Savior, that they would come, that they would just... Ask, what must they do to be saved? Where where can they have this peace? Where can they have this rest and quiet? And Lord, may they find it in your word, in your salvation, the words of life you've given them. And I pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.